Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today's chapter, Revelation 15, is a little shorter uh, than some of the other chapters around it for certain. Uh, Just coming in at eight verses, let's go ahead and read our text. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord. So in our text today, we are entering into the final cycle of the book of Revelation. So it's a threefold repetition. You had the seven seals in chapters 5 and 6, the seven trumpets in chapters 8 and 9, and now the seven censers, or the seven bowls, depending on your, your Bible translation that you use, that are coming here, in, really in chapter 16, but chapter 15 is their introduction. So, a repetition of the history of creation from the time of Christ's ascension until his second coming. These threefold sevens deal with the history of, really, we would call it the Christian church, the world during the time of the church, the New Testament congregation of God. So these seven angels that we see in verse 1, wouldn't be bad to go ahead and identify them as the same seven angels that we talked about back in chapter 2 and 3, the seven angels of the seven churches, which also then we talked about maybe being the same as uh, the other cycles, the seven seals with the seven angels there, maybe these are the same angels, maybe the same seven that blew the seven trumpets in chapters eight and nine as well. Uh, There's good reason to talk about it as though it is. For example, the seven angels of the seven churches, one of the things God has given angels to do is to fight, to fight for, to guard, to protect. And so as, as these angels are fighting against really evil and protecting the churches that they they have been given to serve pouring out god's wrath on on evil in this world uh, that would certainly fit the bill so it's hard to actually say that for sure but it's it's certainly a possibility with your children one thing that you might want to bring up in verse one is this wrath of god is god mad at us And you can talk about why he is or why he isn't. And I would tell you that he isn't and that this wrath of God is being poured out upon those who are attacking his church. We've seen 
several spots in Revelation here, places where they are attacking the church, including the unholy trinity, the dragon, and the two beasts. So you've got the dragon that is the devil, the first beast, which is the political beast, and the second beast, which is the religious beast, all those who wage war on God's church. They realize, it was at chapter 12, that they could not overthrow the child, the Christ child, and so they went after the mother, that is the church, and when they realized that they could not afflict even the church, the aim was shifted to attack instead the offspring of the church, so the children of God, the individual people. As we come into verse 2, the sea of glass has been mentioned before. John saw a sea of glass in chapter 4, verse 6. There it was like crystal, a reference we talked about as being kind of a stillness, um, quiet and calm, whereas in the, in the world there is chaos. Before the throne of God, when the saints are there, there will be quiet and calm and peace. Here, this sea of glass is mingled with fire which is fair to say this is a conversation around the violence and the suffering of God's people. I really love the quote that Dr. Brighton had on this topic in his commentary as he talks about this. He says, the fiery red, sorry, the fiery red reflection of the sea symbolizes this suffering that confronts all Christians. But in this terrifying conflict, though they are conquered by the beast and its image, through death and martyrdom, they come out of the struggle victorious, just as their Lord did on their behalf. Throughout the whole time period of suffering, from Christ's ascension up to the end of his return, the church exhibits this victorious faith by confidently singing the hymn of salvation, even as she goes into death. That quote is really what I want to share with you as a whole on this chapter. I mean, such a profound and deeply meaningful conversation with Dr. Brighton, um, who is now in, in paradise resting with his Lord. So Christ only seemed defeated, right? The world thought Christ died. They thought that they had defeated him. They thought they had gotten rid of him. The devil thought he was victorious over Jesus. And while it is true, yes, Jesus died, he also rose again. He lives on. And the same is true for us, that even though the world attacks us, which, again, we've seen in several of the last chapters, God very specifically will give his witnesses the breath of life. We will live on. We will continue to to live and to serve him. And so we only seem defeated in our death as well. And that we would confidently sing a hymn as we we serve the Lord, as we wait for our death to come. Just a, it's a really moving and thought-provoking conversation. So Christ seemed defeated, we seem defeated, but just as Christ lives, so do we. And so now they go on to sing this hymn, verse 3, um, which you can go back to the Song of Moses is Exodus chapter 15. You're certainly welcome to go back and read that song as well. The point that you'll see if you do is it was, it was singing about God's deliverance, both in the present, but also looking forward into the future to Christ and what Christ would do for his people. And so now we have this song 
that there, that is being sung, and it's also got that focus on deliverance, the song of the Lamb. This is the song that the Lamb does for us. It is his work on our behalf. And a couple of thoughts on the song itself in verses 3 and 4. This song is timeless. We had a song back in chapter 14, that in verse 3, that very specifically pointed us to the end, whereas this song doesn't do that. This song is, I mean, really, you could say we're we are always being defeated and we are always being delivered. And this song captures that picture. It also picks up on the three things that we were told back in chapter 14 that the eternal gospel brings. So when the angel brings the gospel in chapter 14, verse 6, in verse 7, we learn that we are to fear God, give him glory, and worship him. And all three of those things show up here in verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? All nations will come and worship you. So the three things the gospel does, we sing about. We give thanks for and, and we proclaim to others. Now you could pick up on this song and talk to your children about it by asking them about the great and amazing deeds of God. What are the great and amazing deeds of God? What do you what do you know? I mean, you can talk about stories in scripture if you'd like to, the, the miracles that God did through Jesus in the New Testament. You can talk about maybe things that you've seen in your own life, but you can very much so go to the cross that forgives your sins, as we all have many, many sins. And that's a wonderful connection that we can make. And if you go there, once you go there, you don't stop there. You carry it through from Good Friday to Easter so you can talk about the resurrection and then if Christ lives, we live. And that's an amazing deed that we get to see still. That's one that is yet to come that we will all bear witness to. So it's, it's some good conversation that can be had there in that regard. Verse 5, the sanctuary of the tent of witness. So a tent is another word for a tabernacle. Um, it's the, the location that God chooses to dwell with his people. As you think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, God literally made his throne in their midst. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the throne of God for them, with them. And so here we are going to see then the centrality, the importance of God's presence with us. In this tent that is in the heavens, and you can talk about that in connection with Jesus. The book of Hebrews picks up on it that way. But here more specifically, What's going to happen? Out of this sanctuary, God sends seven angels with seven plagues. That's going to be tomorrow's chapter, the seven bowls or censers, for the purpose of protecting his people and judging the enemy. God's presence provides those things for us. God's presence protect us, protects us, and God's presence judges on our behalf. These angels are clothed in white. They're pure um, bright linen, golden sashes, um, the, the holiness kind of pictures that we've seen in previous chapters showing up here in their appearance as well. And they have the seven bowls filled with the wrath of God that he's going. They, they are, in the next chapter, going to pour out upon the earth. So we'll talk about those then. But again, the, the protection and judgment angle is something we'll want to keep in mind tomorrow. The last note on our text for today in verse 8 this idea that the sanctuary was filled with smoke because of the glory of God and his power. 
we've seen that in scripture before. When the Israelites went to dedicate the temple, or even the tabernacle, God's glory, his presence, filled filled his holy habitation, his house. And so here he fills his house again in this text. But we rejoice at that. The tent of heaven has been opened. God welcomes us in. We get to be in his, his holy habitation in the days that are to come. It's part of the promise of Christ given to us. So we rejoice even as we look to be defeated in this life. Just as Christ looked to be defeated in this life, he lives on. And because he lives on, we live on. And so we can march into our daily jobs. We can march into our vocations in our life that God has entrusted to us. And we can do so knowing with full confidence that no matter what happens to us today, we are victorious in Jesus. We are forgiven. We are saved. We are loved. We are his. And no matter what this world does to us, it cannot take that from us. We are the Lord's forevermore.